naming all of the creatures. He became a type of Christ, but with a difference in features. He brought sin into the world, but Christ takes it away. Oh, Adam was a man of sin, but Christ a man of forgiveness. Oh, Adam was a married man, though he first was lonely. God said sleep and then took a rent, formed it into a lady. Love then overwhelmed his soul and he would cling to her. Oh, bone of bones and flesh of flesh, family one of the living. Oh, Adam was no caveman, he knew which was the bad tree. He knew well what God had said, but a serpent deceived Eve. She gave him the fruit to eat and that was that that day. Oh, he was wounded from paradise, sweaty work was his repay. Oh, in the image of God was man, Adam first and then woman. Over animals they did reign, not evolving from vermin. They were given all the earth to rule and work and play. Oh, made much higher than all the apes, we are gloriously human. Now, this morning, we started looking at what a temple is all about and, and kind of the concept behind a temple. And for the, at least the next few kind of weeks, what I want us to do is during the evening services, kind of focus on us as humans and where do we fit into this and how do we kind of interact with that idea of, of the temple. See, the, for the morning services, I guess we'll be focusing a little bit more on the location and sort of what a temple is and things like that. But for the evening services, we'll be focusing more on what about us? So in that, what I want us to see tonight is looking at the image of God, how Adam and Eve were made in the image of God and how also all of us are called to reflect the image of God. But what does that really mean? Um, and, and we're going to see how it responds to the first Adam and also the last Adam. So this kind of traces it and we see how Jesus Christ did for us the things that, that we failed to do. Jesus uh, is, is so important to everything about uh, our relationship with God and being able to, to be reconciled to God. But before we get into that and about Jesus specifically, let's take a step back and let's make sure that we're all on the same page of what the image of God is supposed to be about and really what that kind of means. After all, uh, I think that we're all on the same page in the sense of we know it doesn't mean that you know God has a head and hands and feet and, and everything just like with us. His body is a different type of body than us. So how are we made in the image of God? Well, to this, I want to take you to an unusual place. I want you to think about, and maybe you've traveled here before, um, there is in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, there is kind of a replica of what the Parthenon is. The Parthenon is a very famous uh, place, but you know, actually the Parthenon is a temple. I mean, that, that's what it is. And what's very interesting about the, the Parthenon that's in Nashville, Tennessee, is if you go there, you know, you go throughout all kind of like these different exhibits and you find out a whole lot about kind of ancient cultures and uh, kind of what their, their ideas about worship really was. But as you get to the very top part and kind of really it's the big open room, you find out that in the very middle of it, there's this huge statue. And I mean, it's kind of, it's pretty impressive to just stand at the feet and just see how, how big this thing is. And it's also very impressive just to stand in there to see how big the columns of the whole structure are, or even the doors behind you in which you enter in. I mean, they're huge doors. Everything is just on a really big scale. 
and you've got this huge statue that's in the middle. Now, today, we say, well, that's just a huge statue. And that's how we typically think about it. You know, we think of statues as kind of decorations. But during the ancient times, that statue was actually so much more to them than just a statue. It was actually an image. It was a representation of their God. Um, now, you know, of, of the different God that that temple that you would worship uh, at that temple. Now, temples uh, all across the ancient world, and I guess technically even temples today, they are kind of known for having images of the God that they worshiped at that temple within it. You know, sometimes with us, we think of idols kind of weird. You know, we think about idols as things that, that people actually bow down to. So they're like bowing down to this piece of wood or stone. But really the concept behind an idol is, is more than that. And it's also kind of a little bit more alarming than that because we can easily pass off and say, oh, well, I would never bow down to something that is wood or stone or, or metal. But yet, really, those things were just kind of a representation of the God that they worshipped. It was just supposed to be an image of the God that they worshipped. It was kind of a symbol, a fill-in for the, for the moment, uh, that they could visualize what their God would look like. But, you know, all of this might sound a little strange to us, but, you know, as you start to, to understand that, you realize, you know, the idea about idols, perhaps it's a little bit um, more uh, prevalent even today in our own world, that maybe we see that there are other ways that people might have found uh, ideas about worship, worshiping idols without actually even making a statue of any sort. So when we start to think about this, we see the importance of this image. This image is supposed to be the representation of the God that they worshiped. Now, up to this point, all that I've been talking about, at least mostly what I've been talking about, has been from the pagan perspective. But whenever we look at the temple of God, the God of Israel, it was different. We see something different. If you were to go into the temple, what you would see, which by the way, you couldn't even get into this, the, the most holy place, but if you could, you would not see an image of their God. You know, you wouldn't see an image of the God of the Bible. That wasn't there. Um, in, in fact, what the reason behind that was because God had already made an image. You remember that? All the way back in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, he made Adam and Eve in the image of God. Let's look at that passage together. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, we read this conversation that God has with himself. We read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Did you notice a few phrases that are being repeated several times. This idea of let us make mankind in our image. See, God made mankind in his own image. And you also notice how many different times it says that they are supposed to rule. See, the whole idea about us as human beings made in the image of God is we are supposed to rule in partnership with God. Now, although we are called to rule with him and that we are made in the image of God, we still are not the same thing as God himself. 
That's made clear whenever we look at even the first few verses of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, the first few uh, words of the Ten Commandments uh, are like this as follows. The first six verses. Notice what God says. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. Notice that at the beginning of this Ten Commandments, we find out that God says, you're to have no other gods before me. Okay, so all that that I was looking at before and talking about of all these other temples that have images of gods and they worship those other gods, guess what? None of that was supposed to be allowed to the people of God. We also find out that he says in verse four that you shall not make for yourself an image. So all of those statues, as we would call them, idols is what they really are, images of these pagan gods. Guess what? The people of God were not supposed to have any part in that at all. They were not supposed to make for yourself an image. They weren't supposed to make an image because that image had already been made. But we know we don't need to confuse these things and start thinking, oh, well, we, you know, we need to worship um, humans. That's not at all because that goes against, once again, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. See, we need to recognize what it means to be made in the image of God. We are supposed to reflect God. And there's also some part of our nature that is similar to God himself. Now let's go back to Genesis and let's look at this image of God and notice that it's not just Adam, okay? It's bigger than just Adam himself. In Genesis chapter two, we find out that um, Adam, you know, it was not good uh, for a man to be alone. So God actually made uh, Adam a woman. And now we see that humanity is starting to form. In Genesis 2, verses 22 through 24, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. See, Adam uh, the word Adam, it actually means human or man or even, you know, mankind or humankind, you know, if we want to get into that. God made the man, God made Adam, a woman. Her name was Eve, and Eve represents life. That's, that's what the word Eve means, because she is the mother of all the living. So you have humans and you have life. Whenever they combine, what we see together is humanity right here and we see that they are called to become one flesh. Notice what God had already said before, that it was not good for man to be alone. They shall become one flesh. This is why uh, humans are engaged in, in marriage today, to become that, that uniting of husband and wife into one flesh, to be able to be humans. That, that's part of what we are called to be uh, as this humanity of God. That's how Genesis, that's how the story that's talked about in Genesis uh, is, is mentioned. That's also why we find this phrase here. In Genesis chapter 5, look at verses 1 and 2. Now, keep in mind that I said Adam, it means man or mankind. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he, create, he made them in the likeness of God. 
He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. By the way, that word here in verse 2, that he named them mankind, guess what? He named them Adam when they were created. Isn't that interesting? So we see this combination of both of those. We see that the husband and wife together are mankind. And we also see that, that this is part of, of what it means to be human. Uh, that these two, these Adam and Eve, this human and life are to combine together to become humanity, to become mankind. And we notice that mankind, not just Adam, but mankind messed things up eventually. I mean, it seemed like it was all going great in the first couple of chapters. But when you get to Genesis chapter three, you find out that there are problems in paradise, so to speak. Genesis chapter three, verses four through eight. And right here in these verses, I'm not going to read all of these together, but this is whenever sin enters in. And in this passage, this is whenever um, the, the serpent convinced the woman, convinced Eve to eat from that tree that they were not supposed to eat from. And we find out that, that here, sin entered into the world. We find out that it wasn't just the woman, but it was also the man. So Adam and Eve both partook of this fruit that they weren't supposed to. This is bad news. And what we find out is the next generation of mankind messes up. The next generation messes up. And generations on down the road continue to mess up. There's a bunch of bad news in the Bible. But guess what? When you open up the pages of the New Testament, we find out that good news came and is coming in the story of the Bible. You know, if we're reading it from Genesis on, good news is coming through Jesus Christ. This is the good news that we have in Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 uh, and 16, and then also verse 19, I want to read uh, all of these things together. We read that Paul says, The Son, talking about Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And then in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now we see that Jesus Christ is the image of God. And guess what? Now we see something different. You remember how I was, was making that statement before that, you know, we're not supposed to worship humans, okay? We're made in the image of God, but we're not supposed to bow down to it, okay? We only are supposed to bow down before God. Guess what? We see something very interesting and kind of a, a plot twist, if you will, in the person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the image of the invisible God. He is not just made in the image of God. He is God. And guess what? That means he is okay to worship because he is God. See, Jesus became a human being and he came in among us and he fixed the brokenness of mankind. All the fullness of God dwelt within Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes and he shows all mankind what it means to be made in the image of God. That's why we need to be reflecting Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be reflecting uh, God. We've been made in his image. Now let's make sure that we do that. Let, let's live that out in our day-to-day -day lives. Now, there's also more about how Jesus became this human and fixed this brokenness of mankind. Let's look at that together, what Paul says in another passage. This time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, you and I typically know this passage about talking of the resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just about the resurrection of Jesus. It's also the resurrection of all of us, how we can all have new life breathed back into us because of what Jesus has done. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 44 through 49, notice where images show up. Notice where Adam shows up, where mankind shows up, and notice the part that Jesus plays in all of it. Verses 44 through 49 now. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As it was with the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as, uh, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Do you see this part of what Jesus has done? We see that this first Adam, this first man, Adam, he became a living being. But this last Adam, Jesus Christ, he became a life-giving spirit. You notice he gives us another way to live our lives. We don't need to be motivated by just the things here on this earth, but we need to be looking above. We need to set our minds, our hearts on things above. These are things we've already been looking at here. This is the second Adam. This is the second man. The second man is of heaven, is moved by heaven, animated by heaven. And guess what? We already bear the same image of the earthly man. We already bear the good and the bad of that image of the earthly man. But what about this heavenly man? We are called to reflect this image of the heavenly man as well. This heavenly man of Jesus Christ, the, the way that he shows us. He is this way that we should be following. And the next few verses also kind of explain even more about what Jesus has done for us. In verses 50 through 57, Paul continues on and he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be, we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this passage right here, you know, we see that that he is this last Adam. He is made in the image of God. He's not just made in the image of God. He is the image of God. He is God in the flesh. Remember going back to, to the beginning about how God made mankind to rule uh, with him. Well, what we see is this is where the enemies are defeated. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has conquered these enemies. And guess what? One of these enemies is death. That's the last enemy that is going to be destroyed. And Jesus Christ has conquered it. We find out that, that death doesn't have a sting over us. Death doesn't have control over us because we have life through Jesus Christ. We have victory through our Lord and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So going back to, to how God made mankind to rule with him. You remember that that was part of being in the image of God, that we were supposed to rule with him, that, that mankind was supposed to rule and to reign with him. Well, at the end of the Bible, what you finally see is that God gets what was intended from the very beginning. He finally sees his plan being fulfilled at the end of, of, of the Bible. So it started off at the very beginning of the Bible. We see what God wanted. 
And at the end of the Bible, we find out that that's whenever he finally gets it. And whenever, you know, everything is accomplished, everything, uh, the, the entire war has been overcome. And that's what we see at the end of in Revelation. In Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5, notice how all of these things have been conquered and how it's been overcome and how everything that was messed up in the world and about mankind is overturned. Revelation 22, 3 through 5, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, this is not the last verse in the Bible, but this is actually the last verse of the story of the Bible. Because after this, yes, there's still more. You know, after verse 5, there's more to this chapter. This is the final chapter of the Bible, but there's more verses of this chapter. But it changes. It's no longer talking about the story. See, the story that God tells us about all of creation starts off in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it ends in verse five with, and they, talking about the servants uh, that are surrounding God, they will reign forever and ever. And they are with God and with the lamb. Notice this beautiful story that is mentioned throughout the entire pages of the Bible. We see that the image of God is always at the heart of it. What God wanted was he wanted us to reflect this image of God. Mankind failed time and time again. But in Jesus Christ, we have hope. In Jesus Christ, we see a perfect human being, one who shows us the way to be the image of God. Let us all join in with God and what God has planned for us from the beginning of creation. And let us make sure that we reflect the image of God throughout the earth. That's what you and I have been called to do. That's what God wants us to do. Let's do it together and let's help one another as we reflect this image of God throughout the entire world. Do you know, little child, what is in you? Can you dream, little child, of going far? Do you know, little child, of the power you've been given? Do you know, little child, whose you are? You were made in the image, in the image of God. Just a little bit below the angels. And the masterpiece of heaven's hand is your body and your soul. You were made in the image, you were made in the image, you were made in the image of God, in the image of God. Do you see, child of God, who is in you? Do you see, child of God, where you belong? Do you see, child of God,
your body and your soul. You were made in the image. You were made in the image. You were made in the image of God. In the image of God. Do you care, precious one, who is in you? Do you care, precious one, who is in your soul? For the temple of the Spirit, do you care, precious one, to behold? You were made in the image, in the image of God, just a little bit below the angels. And the masterpiece of heaven's hand is your body and your soul. You were made in the image, you were made in the image.